please stand with me in honor of God's Word as we read from Psalm 103. We began this psalm last week, so I'm going to pick it up at verse 8. I'm going to read six verses, 8 through 14. One of the great psalms in the Psalter. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. I've said in the last few weeks as I've been in the Psalms that I have three favorite Psalms, Psalm 23, Psalm 63, and Psalm 103. And Psalm 103 is particularly rich on who God is, the, the, what's God like, what's our God really like, the unseen, invisible, immortal, eternal God. Who is He? And this is a great passage to go to. He actually begins the passage, we, we covered the first six verses last week, verse 7 he refers to a specific incident deep in the Old Testament when he says in verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. And he's talking about a specific incident that happened in Exodus 33. Now, this is what's going on in Exodus 33. Exodus 32 is the golden calf incident where there was a great judgment after a rebellion against God. And in the aftermath of that, in Exodus 33, Moses prays this unusual, striking request when he says, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. What's he asking? He's asking, God, I want to see your full beauty and excellence and wonder and greatness and glory. It's interesting that Moses asked this because did God not already appear to him in the burning bush in Exodus 3? Has he not seen 10 epic plagues? The astounding power of God. Did he not see the Red Sea split in two and the people go through? He's seen the glory of God. And yet he says, Lord, show me your glory. Now, God liked that request. It's a request that we should make, by the way. I encourage you to pray daily. Lord, show me your glory. The next chapter in Exodus 34, God answers the prayer. And if we look at Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, this is what he says. He says, the Lord descended in the cloud. And stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. He he proclaimed the nature of God. He proclaimed his glory. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord. And by the way, if I could just interrupt again, every time in your English Bibles you see the word Lord in the Old Testament in all caps, it's talking about the personal name of God, Yahweh. The God he revealed in Exodus 3 to Moses, I am that I am. I'm the sovereign, eternal, independent, holy God, the Lord, the Lord. And so he reveals himself. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful 
and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This passage becomes one of the seminal passages in all the Old Testament, repeated several times throughout the Old Testament. This is the essence of God. Four things. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. And Psalm 103 picks it up, referring to this incident. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is, here are the four traits, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Right at the centerpiece of our hearts, of our minds, when we think of God, here are the four big traits repeated uh, several times in the Old Testament, including in the great Psalm 103. Merciful, what does that mean? That he's merciful. That means when you are hurting, God hurts. He is not a dispassionate, uncaring God. His mercy goes out to you. Now you see this in the life of Jesus. Matthew 9, 36, for example. says when he saw the multitudes, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Oh, they need need compassion. And his heart goes out to them. He's merciful. He's gracious. If mercy uh, speaks more to those who are hurting, his grace speaks more to those who are guilty. His mercy, he, he... just extends compassion to hurting people, his grace. He, expend, he, exp, he pours out relief and forgiveness to guilty people. We need them both. Mercy and grace. He is a God who is so gracious. He freely forgives us. We celebrate that every week, every Sunday morning with communion. We celebrate. He's the God of grace. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He is a God who forgives us on the basis of Jesus sacrifice for us on the cross. Now, every religion in the world, every single one, except the gospel, except the Bible, they are all on the performance plan. That is, you've got to be good enough to earn your way to heaven. You've got to measure up. You've got to be good. But grace, by definition, is unearned, undeserved. And it does not cater to human pride because I contribute nothing. I just receive it. The Bible It's not about me doing something to please God. It's receiving the grace of God. It's receiving. All the world is on the performance plan except the gospel. It's on the grace plan. All the world, and I'd say 75% of Christians are on the performance plan. Get off the performance plan. Get on the grace plan. Oh, Lord, I cannot ever be good enough. Lord, I need a Savior. I need the gospel. I need a Savior. You can breathe a prayer right now. Jesus, come and save me. Come and save me, and he'll do it. He'll answer that prayer. So grace, free gift. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So mercy, he's grace. Now, we've got to see him as slow to anger. Now, you may have grown up with a parent who had a quick temper. M- many of us have had, I've been too quick to, temper at times. And uh, we humans struggle with that. Not God. Not God. He's not that way. He's slow to anger. And the Bible emphasizes that. You see that repeated throughout the Bible. God is slow to anger. He's not ready for you. He's watching for you to get out of line and jump on you. So many times I have thought just so gratefully, Lord, you've been so gracious to me. You've been so patient with me. You're slow to anger. 
One more. He's abounding in steadfast love. It's interesting to me. He's not just steadfast love like the others, but he's abounding in it. Think of, you know, a, a movie where you see an oil well just kind of, you know, pouring out the oil. That's God's with his love. He's pouring it out. He's abounding in steadfast love. Now, this is the third week in a row when I've been preaching that we've come across this word, steadfast love. And if the most important word in the Hebrew Bible is that word for God I talked about earlier, Yahweh or Lord, then the second most important is this one, steadfast love. If you haven't been with us, I pointed out that it's the Hebrew word chesed, and we don't quite have a, an equivalent for it because it combines two ideas, the idea of love, God's tender love for you, and his idea of loyalty. He's, he's faithful to you. He's enduring in his love. It's a love that will not let you go. And that's why the ESV renders it steadfast love. And, and your translation, if you use the NIV, I think is unfailing love. Or other translations have a, have a way to pronounce it because we have a way to translate it because we just you know, can't quite capture it with one word. It's loyal love. And over and over and over, God says, this is the way I love you. This is the way I love you. It's crazy love. It's crazy love. It's a love that won't let you go. It's a love that's unconditional. It's a stubborn love. It's a relentless love. The ancient Hebrews, they were interested in birds. And there were two birds that they contrasted with each other, two big birds. One was the ostrich and the other was the stork. The ostrich um, would leave its young, abandon its young at the first hint of danger. They, just, they were disgusted by the, by the ostrich. They just were wimps. They just would leave their young when there was danger near. But the stark, the starks would not leave their young no matter what. They had steadfast love for their young. And you know what the Hebrews called the stark? The, the Hebrew word for stark wasn't stark. It was hasidah from the word hesed. Now, if you kind of look at it, just a, a tad bit of Hebrew. If you go to Israel today on one of our tours that we go in February is our next one, you'll see all these signs around. They don't have vowels to their Hebrew letters. They just have consonants. So the white letters would not be in the word. So it, it would look almost the same. He's saying, those Starks, let's call them chesed. Let's call them chesedah because they're loyal love to the, those Starks. That's God's love for you. Now, church... We've got to recognize that we're in a spiritual battle. And the main strategy of the enemy is to get you to doubt God's love for you. And so all your life you've been hearing the voice of the enemy, as well as the voice of the culture and the world and maybe your family and other people, that God's not good, that life is hard, that God's unfair. That's not true. That's a lie. Life is cruel. Life is unfair. But don't confuse life with God. God is good. He has steadfast love for you. That means he's put his love on you, and no matter how much you mess up, he's going to keep loving you. He's the stark. Never abandoned his young. That's God. That's God. And you do not begin in the spiritual life. You make no progress in the spiritual life unless you feel God that way. Not see God that way. Feel God that way. Lord, show me your glory. Lord, show me your love. Though how high, how deep, how long, how wide it is. Show me your love. Okay. He goes on, the next couple of verses, verse 9 and 10. 
And he says, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us, get this, he will not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Okay, let's get this right. You mean he's the holy God, the judge of all the earth, the judge of the heavenly. Should Hitler be punished for his sin? Of course. And so should every one of us, all of us. Guilty before a holy God. Why doesn't God, how can God not deal with us according to our sins and treat us according to our iniquities? There's only one way. It's because God himself, in the person of his son, stepped out of heaven, came to earth, he, he died for you. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The only way. In the Old Testament, they didn't, they didn't get it fully. Only in the New Testament do we see what it would cost God for this verse to be true, that he will not deal with you according to your sins and according to your iniquities, but he deals with grace. He deals with grace. Amazing, amazing. All righty, church, we've had this uh, emphasis on the love of God. And if you, if you go back to last week's message, even more emphasis on the, the goodness and the love of God. You think, okay, the reader's got it now. We got this. Lord, we got who you are. But God's not through. We are so slow at times to get his love for you. And if we reject his love, if we don't believe his love, say, dear God, that's not true. I mean, all through the Bible, he's telling us of his love. Why are we so slow? What an insult to God to disbelieve his love for us. I mean, we got the cross, and we still disbelieve his love for us. And you think we'd get it now, but... He is going to emphasize it in the next three verses with three images that I think are perhaps the strongest verses in the Old Testament on the love of God. So he's not done with us. I mean, you've got to get this if you're going to walk with me. If you're going to know me, you've got to get this. This is the first image in verse 11. He says, for, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love, that's our word again, his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Now, what's, what's, what's the Spirit of God saying to us? He's saying, look, look up at the sky, and, and it's a vast, vast difference. He says, my love for you is that vast and more. It's that vast and more. Do you receive that? Do you know that? Do you feel that? Do you enjoy that? It all starts with God's love for us. That's why the Bible emphasizes it so very much. It, it, it's, it's as high as the heavens are above the earth, his steadfast love, toward those who fear him. Now, why does it say those who fear him? Some of you, your personality, your wiring's a bit like me, and you're a little bit overthink these kind of things, and you think, man, do I fear God? Is that me? Look, if you're asking that question, you fear God, or you wouldn't be asking it. If you're here this morning, you fear God to some extent, but let's fear him with all our hearts. You know, Jesus in the New Testament, he was saying that, you know, don't fear Satan. Don't fear him as somebody who can just kill the body. Fear him who uh, has control, sovereign control of the body and the soul. God is the good and the holy God, but we fear him. We want to please him. We want to please him. And so this is God's love for us. He gives another image, another indelible image that you just can't get your mind uh, out of your mind. In verse 12, when he says, as far as the east is from the west, 
so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Now, the heavens above the earth, that's a big distance. You know, that's just kind of, you know, vast. But east from the west, I mean, I mean, never the twain shall meet. I mean, that, that's just an infinite distance. What does that mean? If you are not free from your sin, take the worst sin that you've ever done, the sin that you would feel most guilty about, whatever it is, and it has been removed from you as far as the east is from the west. And that's freedom. That's freedom. That's why communion is a reminder every week. Oh, yeah, he's washed my sins whiter than snow. Oh, yeah, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's the gospel. It's not the performance plan. It's the grace plan. As far as the east is from the west, God writes over your sins, forgiven, forgiven. Friends, that's good news. That's really good news. One more image moves from the infinite to the intimate, the picture of a loving father. Some of you say, well, I didn't have a loving father. I don't know about this. Well, you know about it either by way of comparison or by way of contrast. This is what a good father is like. He said, as a father, verse 13, shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He says, my heart is like that of a loving father. Verse 14, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He doesn't have unrealistic, unrealistic expectations of you. He knows you're a pretty broken, wounded person. He knows you're pretty frail, that I'm pretty frail. I'm very frail. And he, he's, he's gentle. He's understanding. Sometimes, I, Lord, you have been so gentle. You've been so gentle, so patient with me. This is God. He's so loving. He's so gracious. He's so kind. Steadfast love. From time to time, I mentioned to you a little phrase that I love. It comes from the deep south, the old south, about 100 years ago, when they would, uh, at certain circles, they would use the phrase. They wouldn't say somebody's been born again. They'd say he was seized by the power of a great affection. That was their phrase. I was seized. These guys here, I was seized by the power of a great affection. I hope you've been seized by that, and you just can't get over it. The great affection of God. Guess it. Tender love, tender love. He pivots at verse 15 and focuses on our frailty when he says, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone. And his place knows it no more. We're like a little flower that's here for a little bit. Our lives are so temporal, so brief. You know, someone compared it this way. He says, our whole life is like a dot, and all eternity in the next life is like a line. Now, are you going to live for the dot? Are you going to focus on the dot, or are you going to focus on the line? Well, all eternity is that line, and it's never ending. It's never going to end. We're here just a brief time. Jim Elliott, martyred at age 28 in Ecuador, he put it this way. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's living for the next world, not this world. C.S. Lewis, he says, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. Live for the next world. I want to please God. I want to have kingdom impact for God. I want to gather together my church family and, and make room for the people God's coming because I'm living for eternity. I'm living for the next life, not just this life. So our brevity. Now in contrast to our brevity, he now turns to God's eternality. 
in the next verse, verse 17, when he says, but, the st- but, contrast, but the steadfast love, that's that word again, for the fourth time in the psalm. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. It is unending. It's on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. That's what fearing God's like. You obey him. You do what he says because you love him and you please him. God's love for you will never stop. It will never diminish. He'll never love you any bit less than he does right now. Never love you any more because his love is perfect. It's perfect. It's abounding to you. The last few verses, he turns to the sovereignty of God. We've been on, on the goodness of God, now the greatness of God. He's so great. He's so big. When we see in verse 17, make that 19, it says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all, his kingdom. He's in charge. He's the ruler. He's the king. He alone has the power Trump doesn't have it. Putin doesn't have it. The big business barons don't have it. Nobody's got it except God and what he gives out. His kingdom rules over all. That is to say God is the sovereign God. He's not a, you know, a grandfatherly Santa Claus type figure. He loves us completely, but he's the sovereign God. His throne is in heaven. He rules over all. That means he does whatever he pleases. And it's always good. That means he's in charge. Abraham Kuyper was a great Dutch theologian who was also incredibly a prime minister of Holland. And he says, he puts it this way. I love the way he puts sovereignty. When he said, there is not one square inch of the entire creation about which Jesus Christ does not cry out, this is mine, this belongs to me. Every square inch is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. He's God. He's sovereign. Every page of this Bible either proclaims or assumes that God is king. Only one king. Only one God. He's the Lord. The Lord. God Almighty. So this God we're talking about, he's not just incredibly good and loving, but he's great beyond all comprehension. So in light of that, he closes with another call to praise him, just like we had at the start of this psalm. That we saw last week. When he says in verse 20, bless the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, you his angels. You mighty ones who do his word. Obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts. Talking about the angelic armies of God. The first one, you know, maybe the, the, the individual angels. This is the whole thing put together. Bless the Lord, all his hosts his ministers who does his will. Bless the Lord, all his works. Lord, the rocks will cry out in praise. All his works in all places of his dominion. And then he turns to himself and calling all creation to praise God. And that includes me. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. The fervent cry of one sinner who's been redeemed by God and his overflowing love. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul, because he is worthy of our praise. The greatness, the glory, the grandeur, the beauty, the love, the compassion, the sovereignty of our great God and Savior.
Augustine, great theologian in the early church, I love the way he put it. He's referring to Jesus when he said this. He said, in my wounded heart, I saw your splendor, and it dazzled me. You get that? You get that? You feel that? You got a wounded heart too. So do I. In my wounded heart, I saw your glory, and it dazzled me. We nowhere see his glory like we see it on the cross. As he's hanging there paying for your sin. Out of love, out of grace, out of mercy, out of compassion. And then he bursts forth from the grave because the grave couldn't hold him. Whoa, the gospel. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. And if we want to see what God is like, we look at the face of Jesus. Nowhere do we see it. In John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Echoing Genesis 1, 1, Jesus is the Word. That is, he's the one who reveals who God is. You want to see what God's like? Look at Jesus. And then down in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. That's a God word, glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. And then it, the passage concludes with 18 when it says, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is in the Father's side. Now, who's that talking about? That's Jesus, isn't it? The only God, that's not the Father, He's at the Father's side. The only God, God the Son, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known because He's the Word who reveals Him. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. He reveals God to us. Church, that's why I'm a believer in Christ. Because I've got some questions that are hard. And I can't fully answer them. And it's no surprise because God is God and I'm not. But this is what I do. I look at the face of Jesus in the Gospels and I am undone. I can't get over it. I may not know all the answers, but I see Jesus. And I am dazzled by his glory. I hope you are dazzled by his glory. And you give him your whole life. Would you stand? Got two questions for you. First of all, are you on the performance plan or the grace plan? Just about all of us are on the grace plan. Get on the grace plan. Breathe a prayer right now. Jesus, save me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And then secondly, do you see God like this? Like this, as this is who he is. Lord God, bless these, your people. Lord, I thank you for the hearts for Jesus all over this room. Lord God, may we fall in love with you. May we love you back because you first loved us. Help us to see you, Lord, as you are. Lord, show us your glory. Show us your glory. Amen.